Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. So we take our text from the Gospel of Luke, and let me just give a little introduction to him. The Gospel of Luke. Luke was not an eyewitness of the birth of, uh, of Christ. He was not an original apostle. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Now, why is that important? Because to be a good doctor, you have to be exact. If a doctor goes too far to the right, if he cuts too far to the left, if he gives the wrong kind of medication, it could cost someone their life. So as Luke deals with the importance of the gospel, I believe he approaches it from a place of exactness. There's some, there's some oddities in the book of Luke that he's very precise with some dates and some figures about how he approaches the subject. Luke, of all people, knows the danger of something being incorrectly diagnosed. Therefore, even though he was not an eyewitness... He was more careful, I believe, in the human approach under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do it the right way. The other writers of John and Matthew and Peter and James, they were all apostles. They knew Jesus as he walked on this earth. So as they wrote, they had the luxury of writing through their emotions, of remembering the conversations. But Luke did not have the personal emotional attachment that they did. Luke did not eat the fish that Jesus multiplied or drink the wine turned into water. He was not there when Jesus walked on the water and Peter almost drowned. So as a doctor, he would deal with the healing of men's, of men's bodies. But as a writer of the gospel, he would deal with the healing of men's souls. And as doctors know, there is only so much... That they can do before the body stops working altogether. Watch now. Doctors know that they are limited and can only do so much. But the gospel can take a man beyond the grave. Beyond that line that the doctor says stop. The gospel can provide for your eternal life. My first observation is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. Just a very quick observation. I love this part of the gospel story uh, or, or of the birth of Jesus. It's when Mary visits Elizabeth and when they walk into the room, uh, uh, Elizabeth's baby jumps inside of her. Because there's a connection there. Obviously, you know the story. But this is a- another connection that I want to bring before your uh, hearing. Both are going through something strange right now. Listen to me now. They're both going through something strange and it does your heart good when you're able to connect with somebody who understands the strange thing that you're going through okay do you understand what I'm saying um that's why support groups are so good because when you go in there you know that it's let's use if God has delivered you from addiction I'm just using that as an example you if you walk into a room and there's other people in that room who who have also been delivered from addiction then there's an instant connection there to recognize you know what I feel and I feel what you feel and we're together. You understand? We, we, there's a bond there. Both of these ladies are experiencing something that is supernatural. They're both pregnant through, uh, through unnatural means, so to speak. And so when they come together, there's a connection there. We, in this room, 
we approach our relationship with Jesus a little bit different. We do. This church does. What do I mean by that? Because you come in here. You've heard me talk about it before. You know, we push on you a little bit. We say clap your hands, raise your hands, you know, make a shout. We, you know, we have people come to the altar during worship and things like this. And, and, it, and it scares some people off. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I see some people when they come here, um, they are, their eyes are so wide, y'all. Listen to me. They're, they're, they're like, what have I just walked into? You know what I mean? And uh, I'm like, I'm praying for them heavily because I don't know if they'll ever come back to this church again, man. Listen, I understand that our church is different. I, I, I know that. But listen to me. I believe one of the reasons that God used Brother Carmichael to plant this church in the 1950s to be a Pentecostal church that embraces the move of the Spirit is, is so, that, so that you and I would have a place to attend that we didn't think we were crazy. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, we can have a place that we can walk into. And if I want to raise my hands, if I want to uh, pray in my prayer language, if I want to clap my hands, if I want to do something like that, then I'm surrounded by a body of believers who don't think I'm crazy with it, but we make each other's babies jump. Come on, somebody. All right, praise the Lord. All right. Let me keep going here. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. I'm just talking through it, guys. I'm just making observations. So God said, this is going to happen. You're going to have a child. This is a promise. This is going to happen in your life. Immediately, notice what Mary does in verse 34. Immediately she says, what do I have to do to make this happen? Is this not like us? When God speaks a word in your heart, immediately we begin to say, what do I have to do? What do I have to work? I'm, I have not known a man. I, in other words, the implication is that it's not going to happen unless I do something. Watch now. I'm making my point right here. I'm going to use myself as an example. Believe it or not, preachers, I'm, I'm talking for myself and I know a few preachers. Preachers are very insecure individuals. Okay? And, and one of the reasons is, is because when we deliver a sermon, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. This is my heart. You understand? This is emotions that I put into this. I'm putting, I'm putting my heart out there. I'm being vulnerable before you. It's very easy to criticize because I talk for a living. Come on, somebody. If you talk for a living, you're bound to, you know, say something wrong. All right, so watch now. Watch. So you put it out there. And so a lot of insecurity there. But watch. The other insecurity that I've dealt with in my, in my life, and I still deal with it to a degree, but much more when I was younger, is how can I pastor this church seeing that I have never been to a seminary? How can I pastor a group of people seeing that I have never been to a Bible college and have a degree hanging on my wall that says I'm qualified? Are you listening to what I'm saying? And you, you struggle with that, man, or I do. And so the mystery of the anointing is that you don't work to earn the anointing from God. And my, it's my mic. I feel like I want to start preaching. I know I'm sitting down. I'm supposed to be quiet, but turn me up a little bit. So most of the time when God... God does something major in your life, you're not even looking for that major thing to happen in your life. Think about David out there keeping uh, his daddy's sheep. 
He was not sending in resumes to Samuel to try to get on the docket to be anointed to be the king of Israel. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to work, work the, 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 the system or whatever. Are you listening to what, what I'm trying to say? You, you, you're, you're not even looking for that major thing to happen. Mary was minding her own business. She was just loving God. Doing what she felt like God had told her to do. Trying to get married. You know, planning her wedding. David was just out there trying to be a good son. Do what his father says do. You know, and then the anointing found him. Now notice what happens. When the anointing found David, not everybody celebrated that. People got jealous about God anointing him to do something great for God. His brothers didn't like him. Saul tried to kill him with a spear. Are you hearing me? So sometimes even people don't recognize the fact that you're just minding your own business, man. You're just doing what you do. And all of a sudden, God's anointing hits you and uses you in some great way. So God uses people who will do what he asks them to do. You're just seeking God, seeking his kingdom first. He, he, God will use people who will speak what he says speak who will who he will not have to argue with your ego to get you to do what he's asking you to do look at Amos 7:14 as an example right here then Amos answered and said I was no prophet nor was I the son of a prophet I was a sheep breeder and a and a tender of sycamore fruit this man is saying, Amos is saying, all I was doing was taking care of some sheep and growing some sycamore fruit. I don't even know what sycamore fruit is. I'm guessing it's good over in Israel somewhere. I don't know. But this man said, I wasn't looking for nothing. All I was doing was just trying to serve God. All I was doing was just trying to do what I knew what was right. And then out of the blue, his anointing came, tapped me on the shoulder. He says, I have an assignment for you. And this is what God does. You're just coming to church. You're just serving God. And all of a sudden, he taps you on your shoulder and says, I want you to be a shepherd teacher of a Sunday school class in 2021. Uh-oh, I'm pushing on you right here. I'm asking you to, um, to be an usher or to be a greeter. I'm, I'm calling you into ministry. And th- that is how it happens. Now, Mary shows us that to be used of God, you must be set free from the need of feeling good about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I should have said this message and preached it because I, w- I, w- I want to preach this. You have to be delivered from people affirming you or patting you on the back when God begins to call you into a work of God. Why do I say that? Because Mary is about to become pregnant and not be married to the person that she's engaged with. And it's not even that man's baby. Oh, y'all think that's okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, let that happen to you. Hello, Facebook. Uh huh. Hello, rumor mill. Hello, let's all get around a coffee pot and start gossiping about and talking about whatever just happened to Sister Mary here. The girl's pregnant. It, it, she ain't even married to Joseph, and, and the baby ain't even Joseph's. Uh huh. Yeah, read the story. Joseph wanted to uh, divorce her before they ever got married. And if it wasn't for an angel to come and speak to him in a dream, he would have done it. Okay? You understand? This. Mary, Mary, this ain't going to feel good to you. People are going to question your character. They're going to question your integrity. They're going to question your motives. Even though you have done nothing wrong, 
They're still going to come and criticize you for simply doing what I've called you to do. Mary is doing the Lord's work. You must serve him because you simply love God. If nobody ever listens to you, if your family never changes, oh my goodness. I mean, you've been saved for 20 years now. You've been witnessing to your brothers and to your sisters and to your mom and dad and your nieces and nephews. And it doesn't seem like nothing you do ever changes their hearts. Listen to me. You still have to keep serving God. You still got to be faithful. If I'm up here preaching and nobody listens to what I'm saying, nobody gets saved. And my friends in the church, they backslide or they don't live for God. Whatever happens, I still have to be faithful and serve him because it's all I know is true. It's to be born in Bethlehem. House of life, house of bread. That's what Bethlehem is known of. Bread means life. So because bread is the staple food that provides life, therefore it would only seem right and natural for Jesus Christ, the giver of eternal life, to be born in the house of life in the land of Judah, Judah, praise. Uh huh. This bread of heaven will come to you and say in John 6.35 that whosoever eat of him would not die but have everlasting breath. Scholars would argue the fact that they believe that Jesus possibly could have been born during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacle was an Old Testament feast that they were to observe that taught a lesson from the Old Testament. It went like this. This is what they did during the Feast of Tabernacles uh, in the Old Testament. They would build a temporary house for seven days. And there should be holes in the roof to remind you that the Lord took you out of Egypt and into the promised land. If that is true, that Jesus could have been born during that time, then I believe there's a symbolism there. That from the manger scene, that you could see the stars shining. And to remind Joseph and Mary that this little king was not going to be born of this world. That those brightly shining stars in heaven... This little king made those stars. That moon that shines brightly. This little baby that's laying in a manger spoke. The word spoke that moon into existence. That this was the king of kings and the Lord of lords laying here. To bring people out of a spiritual bondage of Egypt. And into a spiritual promised land called heaven. Mary is nine months pregnant. She's ready to deliver this child. But she's in Nazareth. She's in Galilee. That's a problem. Those that have been to Israel understand that the Sea of Galilee, the Nazareth area up there, is a long ways away from Bethlehem. And the prophetic word said this. The king has to be born in Bethlehem. So we have a problem. She's almost nine months pregnant. And she cannot give birth in Nazareth. She has to give birth where? To Bethlehem. So what are we going to do? So God uses Caesar to tax the entire world to have to pay their tax, not at the most convenient office in town, but at a specific place. You have to go back to the city of your father. Why did Caesar 
out of nowhere decide to start taxing the entire world. Listen to me. Because there was one woman who was out of place. So the whole world had to get taxed so that one woman from Galilee would make her way down to Bethlehem to deliver that child. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because of this reason. It's not enough to be visited by an angel. It's not enough to be uh, to get pregnant though you knew no man. It's still not enough to be highly favored. You must be at the right place, Bethlehem, at the right time, nine months, in order to fulfill all that God has for you. It is God's perfect timing in your life. Did you hear what I just said? So why God is my family acting crazy? Why God is this happening or why God is that happening? Listen, I don't know, but maybe, maybe God is taxing your whole family to get somebody in your family at the right place, at the right time, so that he can minister to them. Understand that everything has happened to position you where he wants you. He's allowed certain things to happen around you just to advance his will on this earth through your life. And many times God seems not to fulfill our prayers in the most obvious way. But as you continue to walk with God, you begin to see how God indeed has answered your prayers. Maybe not the way you wanted him to or the way you thought he would do. But if you can ever get past that trial, if you can ever get past that situation, oftentimes you can look back over your shoulder and begin to see how God used that moment to minister his grace and his will into somebody else's life. Sometimes we will walk around upset, feeling that God has forgotten about us. But hear me this morning. Trust me whenever I say that if you can continue to put one foot in front of the other, God has not left you nor forsaken you, but you will see it manifested in your life. She had to give birth to a child whose name would be Jesus, a descendant of King David. That city was Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was in Judah. I'm sorry, but I got to talk about praise. Judah means praise. It's worship. And what is absolutely fascinating about that word uh, praise, in the Hebrew, the root word, it is called axel. Don't ask me why the the Hebrew word of praise is named axel. I don't know why it's like that, but it is. It's axel. In other words, axel. Axel turns things around. Some things happen. Something happens when you begin to call on the name of the Lord. Do I got a witness in here? That something happens in your spirit. Something happens in your mind and in your emotions. That whenever you're going through a hard season, Lord knows I have, this is a tried and tested fact for 2020 for myself. The, the way we have, the way I have gotten through 2020 is through a whole lot of praise, a whole lot of worship, and a whole lot of prayer. But something happens when you just throw your hands up, you begin to praise, something begins to turn in your life, something begins to spin. It's kind of like Acts 16 verse 25, that when Paul and Silas was in prison at the midnight hour, them boys didn't get quiet. Them boys didn't say, you know what, man, we've had a rough night. I don't think I feel like praising God no more. I'm tired. I don't feel like clapping my hands. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like thinking. I don't feel like doing none of that. Listen, no, sir. Late in the midnight hour, I'm in chains, but I got to praise. I need to get out. I'm in the hospital, but I got to praise. I got to get out. I just got laid off, but I got to praise. I got to get out. I just had to bury a loved one. 
but I got to praise. I got to get out. Listen, I don't raise my hands and I don't praise God because I'm crazy. I know some people look at us and say, you charismatic people, I don't know about y'all. Mm, y'all kind of, you know, let me tell you something. I, I don't raise my hands and, and worship God like this because I'm crazy. I do this to keep from going crazy. Somebody say amen right there. Hey, my family... They want me to raise my hands. <laughs> Come on. They want me to keep praising. Amen. You do too. Now, I know what my future, here it is. I know what my future would be without God in my life. Okay? Whoo, this is so hard for me to stay seated. In my heart, and you got to say it for yourself, okay? You got to say it for yourself, but for me, in my heart, the root, the, 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 the basic most foundation aspect of where my energy comes from, where my passion comes from, where my tenacity comes from in ministry, in worship, everything. You guys know me very well. Those that come to this church for a while, you know me. Where that comes from, it is from the fact that I know where I would be at if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I, I, I can't. I, I, I sat down the first time. I just can't do it again. Let me tell you something. My story was already written for me. Okay? All right. I know the word alums doesn't mean anything up here because we're in Vincent. Y'all don't know, know me, but you know, my family. But in enterprise, it means something. The word alums, your, your, your future's already written for you. You're going to be a drug addict. You're going to get in trouble with the law. If you graduate from high school, uh, you're lucky. If you do, uh, you're lucky. You're going to be in, involved with the law. You're going, to be, you're going to just raise Cain and just the whole nine yards. That was... My story that was written for me the day I was born on November the 17th, 1979. Understand, that was my story. And I was starting to go down that story a little bit, but something happened in my life. And it wasn't education. It wasn't relationships. And No, it was Jesus Christ stepped into my life, changed my entire world. It changed my entire world around. And I never lose sight of that fact. That is, that is the drive. That's the motivation, man. That's why I worship. That's why I sing. That's why I raise my hands. That's the reason I preach. That's the reason I was called into ministry. Is because I know where I would be at. So it doesn't bother me to have to come up here yesterday and, and to minister to a family that just lost an 18-year-old girl. It doesn't bother me. You know why? Because I know where I would be at if I wasn't called to doing that. I would be, I would be the one in a casket. I would be the one in a jail cell somewhere. I would be the one living on the street. But it was Jesus Christ that did something in my heart. And I will never be ashamed of what he did for me. I will never lose my first love for what he did. And I want to implore upon you, man, that your life is not going to change because of somebody else. It's going to change because of what God does in your heart. And let that reality remain fresh in your life. Don't get caught up in the hoopla of this world. Don't get caught up in elections and the news and the color of the carpet or all the stuff that goes on around us. Man, you keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the only reason that you ain't somewhere else right now. I'm, I'm going to knock all these candles over in a second. Mm-mm-mm. Woo, I feel that. I feel that this morning. I feel that this morning. That's, that's it. I don't get into that every time, but that's, it never leaves me. It never leaves me. I thank him for everything that he's done in my life. Yes. So praise is not something that is redundancy. 
Well, sometimes we sing songs and they kind of repeat themselves, you know, over and over. It's not redundancy. Prayer is not a ritual. It's not something we do every day at, or every Sunday at 8.30. And it's, not, it's not a ritual. Praise is not even necessarily the act of remembering a past event. Praise and worship is to declare a present truth for my life today. Praise and worship is is not to declare that God is somewhere far off. I'm not praising God necessarily because he's somewhere high up on a throne. I praise God with a fresh reality that whenever I praise him, he inhabits the praises of his people. So whenever I worship him, I have a, a, a awareness that God comes and sits down right here beside me. One of the last observations, Acts chapter 4, verse 30. Notice the wording right here. Very, very interesting. By stretching forth his hand to heal, and signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy... Notice what it says. Can y'all see that? I can't hardly see you, so I'm, I'm trusting you're nodding your head. Holy child Jesus. Why do they make a reference to baby Jesus right there? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, you know, the matured Christ. Why not use the mature Christ who went around raising the dead or healing the sick? No. No, the reference is baby Jesus. I think there is much to be said about the humility of God. A God who loves us so much that he would allow himself to become weak as a baby so that you and I could be made strong. Our greatest deeds, listen, our greatest deeds will be done when we are the most humbled by what he has done for us. The less that we become and the more humble we become, the more lessening of our pride, the greatest Jesus becomes in our life. And I close with this last thought right here as the praise team makes their way. Psalms 105 verse 4. We are instructed to seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Okay? We're commanded to seek his face. Now notice what happens if you find his face. Exodus 33, verse number 20. Read this one with me. Thou cannot see my face, for there shall be no man that sees me and live. Now, now put those two realities together. Why would I be told to seek something that could possibly kill me. <laughs> Think about it right there. Right? Seek my face. Okay? And if you see me, you're going to die. Okay, now what, what's going on right here? Here's the, here's, here, here it comes. Because God can't use you if you're still alive. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified. I die. My flesh my opinions, everything in my past, all my hurts, all of the abuses in my life, everything that is attached to me dies with Christ on that cross. Every excuse for me not to serve God dies on that cross. Everything, whatever you got, put it on the table. It dies with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are invited to seek after God. And as I get closer to God, more and more of my flesh will die as a result of seeing his face closer to my life. And as my 
flesh is crucified, then the Christ that is in me may be seen through me, and God gets all of the glory. This is why people don't like to pray. This is why people don't like to fast. We're going to be fasting and praying in January. Because ever how long I separate my time to pray, is, is that's how much time that I'm denying my flesh. The reason it's hard for people to pray for five minutes. The reason it's hard for people to pray for ten 30 minutes and dear Lord for you to pray for an hour watch the reason it's hard is because it's so difficult for us to crucify our flesh for five minutes it's so difficult for us to crucify our flesh for 30 minutes to literally set aside everything in our life and concentrate on Jesus Christ We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.